0: is going to read the Bible for us. Now, boys and girls, what we're doing over these few weeks, on the day of Pentecost, that we're going to think about in church in a couple of weeks' time, that's in in the book of Acts in the New Testament, we read that on that day when the Holy Spirit came upon all of God's people who were gathered, um, they were able to hear God's word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus in their own language. And the The gospel, the good news of Jesus spread around the whole world in all different languages. And so we're inviting people who can speak a different language to read the Bible for us in their language, their native language, and then again for us in English. So Ted, do you want to grab that microphone there? Do you want to tell us just before you read? Yes. Um, where you're from and the language that you're going to read God's word in for us.
1: So I'll be, uh, I came from the country called Philippines and it's in Southeast Asia. So a little bit far away from where we live right now.
0: <laughs> okay, tell, uh, what language are you going to read yes. the Bible in? So
1: I was contemplating whether to read it in my native um, dialect, which is um, Ilongo or Tagalog, which is the official language of the Philippines. But um, I feel like if I read it in my really native dialect, it's a little bit confusing and hard to read because we're not usually used to reading it or, you know, reading books in my native language. So I chose to read it in Tagalog, which is almost all Filipinos would know that language. Because Philippines is quite, it's composed of thousands of islands and there would be like 180-something dialects in the whole country. It's a You're small country. You're not going to read it in
0: 180 languages? No, no, matter. no, no.
1: It would take forever. And I don't know them all. So <laughs> just one and then English. <laughs> okay,
0: brilliant. Ted, do you want to come into the middle um, and read God's Word for So boys and girls, this is God's Word being read in Filipino and then in English. Let's listen really carefully as Ted reads the Bible.
1: Yes. So this is from John chapter 3, verse 1 to 8. So... Um, aklat ni Juan, kabanata tatlo, talata isa hanggang Otso. Si Juan at si Nicodimo. May isang lalaking kabilang sa mga Fariseo na ang pangalan ay Nicodimo, isang pinuno ng mga Hudio. Siya ay pumunta kay Jesus ng gabinas at sinabi sa kaniya, Rabbi, nalalaman namin ikaw ay isang guru na mula sa Dios pagkat walang makakagawa ng mga tandan na iyong ginagawa, malibang kasama niya ang Diyos. Sumagot sa kanya si Jesus, katotohanang ang sinasabi ko sa iyo, malibang ang isang ay ipinganak na muli, ay hindi niya makikita ang kaharian ng Diyos. Sinabi sa kanya ni Nicodimo, Paanong maipapanganak ang isang tao kung siya'y matanda na? makakapasok kapasok ba muli sa tiyan ng kaniyang ina at ipanganak? sumagot si Jesus katoto hanang ko sa iyo, malibang ang isang tao ipanganak ng tubig at ng espirito, hindi siya makakapasok sa kaharian ng Dios. ang ipingan ang ipinanganak ng laman ay laman, at ang ipinanganak ng espirito ay espirito. uwag kang magtaka na aking sinabi sa, sa iyo kailangan kayoy ipanganak na muli humiihig ang hangin kung saan nito ibig at naririnig mo ang ugong nito ngunit hindi mo nalalaman kung saan ito nanggagaling at kung saan tutungo ganoon ang bawat isang ipinanganak ng espiritu and then in english John chapter 3 verse 1 to 8 in NIV Jesus teaches Nicodemus The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit.
0: Thank you. Let me begin um, today by quoting from two old, dead, very influential um, pastors and authors. Um, sometimes it's those who are long since dead, who have some of the best things to say. Um, Not sure why that is. Let me read, first of all, a quote from um, 19th century English evangelical Bishop J.C. Ryle, who said this. He said, Pray daily for a great outpouring of the Spirit on the church and on the world. This is the grand need of the day. We need more of the presence of the Holy Spirit, more in the pulpit and more in the congregation. Where he is, there will be life, health, growth, and fruitfulness. Where he is not, all will be dead, tame, formal, sleepy, and cold. Then let everyone who desires to see an increase of pure and undefiled religion pray daily for more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in every branch of of the visible church. Amen, Bishop. Then mid-20th century American pastor and author A.W. Tozer writes this. He says, in most Christian churches, the spirit is quite entirely overlooked. Brief reference is made to him in the doxology and the benediction. Further than that, he might as well not exist. Our neglect of the doctrine of the blessed third person has had and is having serious consequences. For doctrine is dynamite. It must have emphasis sufficiently sharp to detonate it before its power is released. The doctrine of the Spirit is buried dynamite. Its power awaits discovery and use by the church. The Holy Spirit cares not at all whether we write them into our creeds in the back of our hymnals He awaits our emphasis. Then he says this. I think this is brilliant. He says, when he gets into the thinking of the teachers, he will get into the expectation of the hearers. When the Holy Spirit ceases to be incidental and again becomes fundamental, the power of the Spirit will be asserted once more among the people called Christians. Great words, strong words indeed. I wish I could write so well. Um, Some really strong words. Tozer goes on in that that, uh, quote to say that um, he describes how Satan is at work in the world. We know that, but he's at work in the world trying to confuse Christians in their understanding of the Spirit of God. Um, He says that the enemy of God is filling the church with all kinds of false notions and fears, about the Holy Spirit. And I think that is so true. I think the enemy is at work in that regard. And so the intention of this series, we're in this series called the third person. The intention of this series is um, that proper thinking about the Holy Spirit of God would produce within us proper expectation and a proper experience of the Spirit's presence and power among us. The intention of this series is that that he would become fundamental to who we are as a church and as Christians, individual Christians, and not that he would simply merely be incidental to all that we do, that he would very much be fundamental to who we are and all that we're becoming as a church So this morning, we're thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we thought about the person of the Holy Spirit. This morning, we're thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit. In in his brilliant little primer on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, Winfield Bevins writes a short section in that primer, and it's called The General Work of the Holy Spirit, um, how the Spirit is at work in all believers post-conversion, post-coming to faith in Jesus. And he just summarizes it By saying this, he says, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, Romans 8, 26 to 27. He illumines and guides believers into all truth. That's from John 16. The Holy Spirit enables Christians to fight sin. I hope you're aware that that is what he helps. That is what he does in your life, uh, Romans chapter 8. He sanctifies us, makes us more like Jesus. We are holy and becoming holy, 1 Peter 1, 2. And he gives us an assurance that we, uh, so that we can know with certainty that we're children of God, how we need that, how we need uh, reminded and assured that we belong to God, that, we're, that we we're children of God, that we've been adopted into his family, that God will never, ever let us go. So he says all of this before he begins to even write about the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives we must understand that the, the work of the Spirit is, is manifold, multifaceted, multi-layered in our lives, immeasurable in many ways. The work of the Spirit is immeasurable and, and also, if we're honest, incomprehensible. We can't fully understand how the Holy Spirit works in our lives in all of its detail and all of His detail. But his work is present in both the big things that go on in our lives and also in the minutia, the minute details of who we are and all that happens to us as followers of Jesus. He's in it all. He's at work in all of that. We have a a, a strategy document, our all-in strategy, and it states this within that document. It says that we desire to be a healthy church, with a growing influence where everyone is all in to going deeper as disciples, becoming closer as family, and reaching wider in witness. And so this morning, I want to tie what we're going to say in with that vision, with our vision statement, with who we want to be as the people of God. We're going to jump around a little bit around Scripture passages Um, And I want to use three headings this morning uh, as we think about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And these headings tie in with our vision um, as a church. The first one is this, salvation and sanctification. So the Spirit's work um, as we endeavor to go deeper as disciples of Jesus. Salvation and sanctification. Last week, if you were here, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, convicting the world, proving the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the work that he's in. He is proving the world to be wrong in regards to their ideas of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The work of of the Spirit is a work of salvation. That is the starting point, if you like. The Spirit's work is a work of salvation. It only begins in us, that work of salvation, when God quickens our hearts, convicts us of our sin, and calls us to follow Jesus by His Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. The work of salvation in anyone's life is a work of the Holy Spirit. That's why I could stand and and preach until I'm blue in the face and completely out of breath. And unless the Holy Spirit moves, someone might just remain completely hard-hearted to the things of God. The work of salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a work of, of me or any of us. It's a work of the Spirit. Our salvation Um, Sometimes this this kind of calling of the Spirit is sometimes referred to as the effectual call of God when the Holy Spirit calls a person by awakening their heart, by awakening their mind and their soul to their personal need of Jesus. This effectual call of God. And then our salvation involves this incredible spiritual rebirth. Ted read this morning from John chapter 3. And this is why Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in the way that he does in John chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. Let me just read that again. Jesus answers Nicodemus and he says, Very truly, I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Because flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised, Jesus says, at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is, he says, with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus is fundamentally to be born of the Spirit, to be born again of the Holy Spirit of God. The moment that we come to Jesus in faith and repentance, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're born again. We're born again of the Spirit. A whole new life begins. Now, there ought to be moments in our lives of filling, filling of the Spirit, and we're to pray for that. We're to pray daily that the Holy Spirit would fill us, that we would be filled, overflowing with his presence and power. But to be born again is to receive the Holy Spirit of God. That moment we come to Jesus in faith, in repentance, we are born again of the Spirit of God. He comes and he occupies us. He takes up residency within our lives. We become engulfed with his presence, never to be the same again, never the same again. And at the same time, we come into the one body of Jesus, the church, We're part of the one family of God. We're born again of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as the agent of regeneration. He's the one who regenerates us from within, he transforms us from the inside out. He takes us from death to life, he brings us to spiritual life. We were once dead in our sin, flatlining spiritually. The Holy Spirit, when he calls and when he comes and when he, he points us to Jesus and when we surrender to that call of Christ, we're brought to life again. We go from death to life. And in the words of Paul, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he has a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so it's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who initiates this incredible exchange within us Our desires and our affections are turned upside down. I wonder if you can remember how that felt when you came to faith in Jesus. The desires of your heart change. Your affections towards God are strangely warmed. Your desire to know him. Your desire to experience his presence in your life. Your desire to go deeper into the plans and purposes that he has for you changed completely. Your heart is warmed. The Spirit of God does that. He gives us new desires, new affections. We're transformed. We have a new hunger within us. We have a new thirst within us. We have an entirely new devotion. We receive our new status as adopted children of God. We receive this new citizenship, into the kingdom of God. And we have this new hope set on an eternity with God. Everything changes. And so as we go deeper as disciples of Jesus, the Holy Spirit works. He's the one who works in our salvation and he is at work in our sanctification. That process where we're made more and more like Jesus, where we become more like him, where our desires and affections are more in line with his where our heart beats with the things that that, that the heart of Jesus beats for. His sanctifying work means that we are restored and being restored to the image of God. We are holy and being made holy in his likeness. So the Holy Spirit's presence and work within us enables the killing off of the dead deeds of the flesh as he brings life to our bodies. Do we desire this? Is this the desire of our hearts? Do we pray for this? That we would be sanctified by the Spirit? That our affections, that our desires would be in line with God as the Spirit of God does His work within us? In Romans eight eleven, Paul reminds us that it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives within us by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit of God is at work in our salvation and our sanctification. He takes us deeper as disciples of Jesus. Secondly, the Spirit's work is in our our love and unity for one another. We grow closer as family because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Are you still with me? Okay, good. Good, I think I'm still with myself as well. The Holy Spirit is at work in our love and unity. So our all-in strategy document says we want to be a church that feels like a large family where everyone feels connected with others and able to share their lives in close community. But to be this kind of church, to be a big church that feels like a family, we need the unique unity of the Spirit among us. For a church like us to feel like family, we really need the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verses 3 to 4, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who binds our hearts together. He creates within us and among us a supernatural unity. I mean, it's a miracle that we all get on so well. It's a miracle. Supernatural wouldn't happen otherwise. There's no way I would get on with some of you if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit's work. (laughs) I was going to say that's a joke, but actually, no, let's be honest. It's the Holy Spirit who binds us together who creates this supernatural unity among us. But it's our responsibility, Paul says, to keep it, to maintain it. We have a responsibility to maintain unity through our bond of peace. So there's a bond of peace upon us as the people of God. We have the peace of Christ upon us. His peace is at work within us. And it's our job to maintain unity with one another through that bond of peace. We're united to each other. Paul goes on um, in, in Ephesians 4 and he explains the power of one. He talks about the unique oneness that ought to be present within the body of Christ. He talks about there being one body, one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God. All brought about by the work of the one Holy Spirit. One Spirit. Elsewhere, Paul encourages us as believers to drink of the one Spirit. There is no other fountain other than him. In verse 2 of Ephesians 4, Paul describes the characteristics brought about by this unity of the Spirit. He says that the Holy Spirit will bring about humility and gentleness... He will bring about patience and he will bring about a bearing with one another in love. A bearing with one another in love. It's very like the fruit of the Spirit that we'll consider next week from Galatians. And so our love and our unity as a church family is critical. It's absolutely critical. Our love and unity as a church family is critical for our witness to the world. The world watches us. Our love and unity, the unity that we experience and hear among our fellowship, is critical. Critical to our health as a church and critical to our witness as the people of God in this world. Our love and our unity. I wonder is this your desire? to be a people who are bound to one another in love and in unity. So long as I'm here among you, my heart is to endeavor to strive for these things. I will always fight for love and unity among the people of God. So long as I'm among you, my heart is that we would be a people marked by humility and gentleness, that we would be a people who are patient with one another, bearing with one another in love even when things get difficult, even when there's difficult conversations to be had, that we would be those who in humility and gentleness bear with one another in love because of the bond of peace that's upon us through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. You may or may not be familiar with the story of the Moravian community of Hernhut in Saxony, um, I think it's worth recalling some of this this morning. Um, l- let me just do that. Okay, so a little bit of a story here um, about the Moravian community of Hernhut. History records that in 1727, okay, so we're going back quite a bit in time, 1727, under the leadership of Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, what a name! Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. This community in Hernhut experienced a great spiritual awakening, revival. And it resulted in, listen to this, in case you haven't heard about this before, a round-the-clock prayer meeting that continued nonstop for over 100 years. 100 years. The current 24-7 prayer movement is greatly inspired by what happened in this Moravian community back in the 1700s. It's an incredible story, but the backstory to what happened at Hernhut is is really, really intriguing. Zinzendorf had opened his Hernhut estate. It was his land. It was his estate. He opened it up um, to Protestant refugees from all over Europe who had been experiencing real persecution at this time in history. He opened up his land. He welcomed them from all over Europe, and they came But as the community came together from all over Europe, it was made up of many different groups, okay? So imagine this. There were lots of denominations present in Zinzendorf's community, in Hernhut, okay? There were Baptists, (laughs) Presbyterians, Lutherans, Moravians, and on and on it went. They all came together. And what happens whenever any diverse group like this comes together? Many denominations, many kind of Christian backgrounds, what happens when any group like that comes together? <laughs> well, there was conflict, arguing, bitterness, and a whole lot of judgmentalism. They were all having a go at each other about the things of doctrine that they believed in, that they didn't believe in, and it was causing great division among this community who were coming together. Each group's doctrinal distinctives were threatening to break down any sense of unity that they might have had in Hearnhut. What did Zinzendorf do? Well, he began visiting people's homes for prayer. He went round the community. He prayed with them. He then called the people together to study the scriptures, teaching how believers ought to live together in love and unity, in deep spiritual unity. And following prayer and the study of scriptures, an agreement was drawn up in Hernhut called the Brotherly Agreement. I'm sure it was sisterly as well. It was. It was called the Brotherly Agreement, Brotherly-Sisterly Agreement. And essentially, it was a document that those living in the community would agree to as the people of God. Diverse backgrounds who had come together from all over Europe. It was what they were going to agree on. And in this agreement, essentially, they began to focus as a community on what they agreed on rather than what they disagreed on. They majored on on the majors of the faith, not on their minor differences that were threatening to break them up how the church at large today could learn from that. I came off Twitter completely a few months ago because that's all it was. Christians seem to be tearing each other apart online over little differences in their doctrinal beliefs. At Day, they they focused on what they were all about, what the most important things were in their faith together. They endeavored to be full of love and full of unity. Do you know what the result was of that spiritual unity that the Holy Spirit was fostering among them? The result was a great spiritual awakening, a hundred years of nonstop prayer, and a massive missionary movement. In 1791, 65 years after commencement of this prayer movement, this, this small Moravian community had sent out 300 missionaries to the ends of the earth and the world would be influenced by what happened in Hernhut. A significant part of the Spirit's work among us is to produce a sense of unity in the Spirit and love that will result in great blessing, awakening, and a missionary movement of God's people. So the Holy Spirit is at work in our love and in our unity. Then finally, he is at work in our evangelism and mission as we reach wider in our witness In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus said these very well-known words. He said, but you to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to courageously to courageously, with great conviction, reach out to the world around us as we witness, as we point people to King Jesus. Remember, the Holy Spirit carries the power to prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. But we are those, we are those in whom he dwells. We are those who carry the good news. We're those ones who will bring the message of Jesus to the word, and it's the Spirit's job to convict them, to point them to Jesus. We carry the good news of Jesus into the word, but we rely on the powerful work of the indwelling Holy Spirit as we go. Power to proclaim Jesus, power to face being shunned. Have you been shunned recently for your faith? It happens. Power even in the face of being misunderstood or persecuted. Power to reach out to those who seem so out of reach. The Holy Spirit brings power as we live for Jesus in this world. We need the work of the Spirit as we reach wider in witness. As we close, just listen to these words that I picked up on Facebook this week um, from Simon Ponsonby on the role of the Holy Spirit in our witness as a church. Uh, maybe a worship team um, could come forward. We're gonna, they're going to lead us in a moment or two. I'll explain that in a minute. Listen to this about the role of the Holy Spirit in our witness as the church. He writes this, the Holy Spirit did not come for our entertainment or our excitement, but for our empowerment, for evangelism, He filled the church that the church might fill the world. At the heart of that first Pentecost outpouring and of every subsequent visitation from on high is the receiving of power to witness to Christ. He writes, yes, the Spirit comes to bring us the actuality and assurance of our salvation. Yes, the Spirit comes to bring us the knowledge of our adoption. Yes, the Spirit comes to inculcate in us the life and the character of Jesus. Yes, the Spirit comes to impart the intimacy and the glory of God to us. Yes, the Spirit comes to impart gifts for the building up and the blessing of the body of Christ. But he says, power from on high to point to the one who is seated on high is among the preeminent purposes of Pentecost. Sadly, this divine priority has often become a mere footnote in the life of the church. And at times we've been more interested in the inward feelings and phenomena associated with the Spirit's coming than in His focus to propel us outward to a godless, hopeless, lightless world where 80,000 die daily without Christ. And so we need the work of the Holy Spirit. He's at work in our salvation and our sanctification as we go deeper as disciples of Jesus. He's at work in our love and our unity for one another. That in itself is a witness to this world. But we need him for our evangelism and the mission of God in this world as we reach out to a world in darkness with the message of Jesus. We need him. Let let me pray. Um, In a moment or two, the worship team are going to lead us in a song. Um, Just keep your seats for that. We're going to stand and sing one at the end. But for this, you can keep your seats. You can sing along if you want. The words will come up on on the screen. You can sit quietly if you want. And just let these words minister deep into your heart and soul. But you're going to just take a moment um, to respond to what God is whispering into our hearts. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father before we're ministered to in song we thank you for the work of your spirit in our salvation that we are born again of the spirit of God those of us who have put our trust in Jesus We thank you that you are at work in our sanctification, making us more like him as we follow him in this world. We pray, God, for anyone here this morning or listening online who hasn't yet put their trust in Jesus, that, Holy Spirit, you would do that work of proving them to be wrong about what they might currently believe about Jesus. We thank you for the work of your spirit in our supernatural love and unity for one another. Oh God, we pray that you would grow us here closer as family. That we would be united in our love for one another. Patient, forbearing with one another. That we would always be united in what we believe and know to be true about Jesus, your son. We thank you that your spirit is here. Within and among us, empowering us, God, to be your witnesses in this world, your witnesses in our homes, in this community, and to the ends of the earth. Power from on high to point this world to the one who is seated on high. And so we ask, God, that the Holy Spirit, your spirit, would never be just incidental to who we are, but the person and work of your spirit would be fundamental fundamental, crucial to who we are as the people of God here in Karmani. So Spirit of God, minister to us now as we make room for you to speak to us, to do what you want to do within us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.